Do you believe those words this morning? Do you truly recognize how great our God is? There is none greater. There is none deserving of worship but our God. And what a blessing it is to serve. What a blessing it was to be created. What a blessing it is to be saved, to be converted, to be pronounced justified and able to enter into the very presence of God because of the sacrifice that he made for us. And because of that sacrifice, Jesus is sitting again at his Father's right hand, interceding, giving us the privilege of coming to our God in prayer, in personal, intimate prayer. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. As we look at Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege to come to you in prayer, Father. We thank you for the sacrifice that made it possible, Lord. I just pray for your spirit to direct us this morning, Father, as we seek to have a deeper and a richer understanding of the gift, the privilege that we have to be in fellowship with you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I believe the uh, prayer chart has begun its journey around. I encourage you to keep it moving, but I encourage you to sign up. And also, we also wanted to remind you or let you know that that is for all ages. So parents, if your children want to sign up, if they want to take a half hour slot and they want to be a part of this week, please don't hesitate. Let them be a part of that. And as I said, there's sticky notes on there. Go ahead and write down your time that you took so that you can have a reminder and looking forward to participating in that this week. So when that is finished, uh, if someone could get that to Josh... And if it's already passed you and you would like to sign your children up or something, please uh, get a hold of Josh and he can help you do that. We will try to get someone to get those up on the spreadsheet online that we've had up there so that you can kind of go peek at that this week and see, just get a glimpse of everyone who has committed, everyone who has stepped up to be a part of this week. So please uh, take your opportunity there. Well, our focus, as I said, is on prayer this morning. And you see your outline, we got it broken down into three things. We asked, you know, what? What is prayer? And then why? Why do we pray? And finally, how? How do we pray? Those are the three different perspectives we want to take as we look at the discipline, the gift of prayer this morning. Well, the first question there is what? What exactly is prayer? Again, again, I went to the dictionary. It says, a solemn request for help or expression of thanks addressed to God or an object of worship. We can just drop that last part. It's addressed to God. Because as I said, he's the only one worthy of our praise, the only one worthy of our worship. If you go back to the Greek word that is translated prayer in our modern text, it says to supplicate or worship. That's its definition of prayer in Scripture. Those two words, supplicate, means to ask or petition, to make a request, 
to supplicate to God is to make a request to Him. The word worship is an expression of adoration. It's just adoring our God. That's worship. So this definition of prayer is supplication and adoration. Supplication and worship. Asking and adoring. That's the privilege that we have in prayer. These two elements, this supplication and worship, are both intimate actions. Personal actions. Prayer, in fact, is personal communication with God. The ability to talk to Him one-on-one. No, not face-to-face, but intimately and personally, beautifully. That's prayer. It's a time to appeal to God. It's a time to seek God. We, because of prayer, have a way to intimately communicate with the God who created the universe. Have we grasped that? Have we embraced that? Have we taken full advantage of it? Do we take advantage of the intimate, personal relationship that we have available to us with the God who created us? That, in summary, is what prayer is. It's communication. Communication with the God who created us. Why Why do we want to communicate with Him? What's the purpose of prayer? Why do we we even want to utilize this discipline? Well, first of all, prayer, the act of prayer, emphasizes our trust in God. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Prayer is going to God and saying, I trust you. My faith is in you. That you will take care of me. There are a lot of things about God that I don't understand. I'm sure there's a lot of things that each of you don't understand this morning. God is so big. God is amazing. Indescribable. Unexplainable in some ways. Mysterious in other ways. But prayer expresses our faith that we don't have to understand it all. We just have to know that God is in control. That God is all-powerful and God is all-knowing. And going to Him in prayer is expressing that trust and that faith. Prayer also expresses our dependence in God. Dependence on God. Psalms 16 verse 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Not because of any abilities I have or any talents that I have, but because God is at my right hand. God loves me. God provides for me. And I, in prayer and acknowledging that I depend on God for everything. Another reason why we pray. What a beautiful thing it is to depend on a God who is completely loving, completely just, and unchanging. 
That is our God. That is the God we serve. That is the God we go to in prayer. Prayer also brings us into intimate fellowship. We talked about that's what prayer is, is intimate communication. It actually brings us into fellowship with God. This perfect God who created us, who loves us, who set everything in motion, allows us the opportunity to be in deep, intimate fellowship with Him. Think of your human relationships. How do you get to know another person? How did you get to know your wife? How did you get to know your best friend? Was it because you watched them from afar? Did that give you an intimate knowledge of them and a relationship with them? Was it because maybe you read about them? Some of the people who are famous, who are in politics or in or actors or actresses, we can fool ourselves and think we know a lot about them because we read stories about them. Was that an intimate personal relationship with them? Did you have deep personal knowledge of them? No. You got to know your wife, your girlfriend, your best friend, anyone who you have a relationship with. You got to know them because you fellowshiped with them. You talked with them. You laughed with them. You cried with them. You lived life with them. You were interested in them. You asked questions of them. They asked questions of you. You shared your hard times, your fun times. That's how you build a relationship with them. You communicated with them openly and freely. That's how a true, deep bond of a relationship is built, through communication. Prayer allows us to do that. Prayer also, prayer allows us to do that with God. Prayer also gives us the ability to be involved in activities that have an eternal significance, things beyond this life, beyond this earth. Prayer has an effect. Prayer changes things. It truly does. Prayer, in fact, changes the way God acts. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that your prayer has that power? You say, what about God's sovereignty? I believe firmly in the sovereignty of God and that Nothing happens that God doesn't allow to happen. Nothing happens that God hasn't planned to happen. That truth brings me great peace. But that truth does not do away with the fact that we have power in prayer to appeal to God. Exodus 32, starting in verse 9, going through verse 14. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. And behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my, wrath, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I might make a great nation out of you, Moses. But Moses implored the Lord his God, and he said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have bought out, brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, did he bring them out? To kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger 
and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants, God, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven in all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And it says, the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. He relented upon the plea of Moses. Would God have destroyed his people? Yes, he would have if Moses had not interceded. That was the intent that he expressed. Was he going to destroy his people? No, because he knew that Moses was going to ask him not to. Because God is all-knowing and is not restricted by time. He knew what Moses was going to do. He knew how he was going to plead. You say, but that's very confusing, Kevin. I don't understand. Why would God do this? Why would God threaten something that he wasn't really going to do? I don't believe it was a threat. I believe it was a test. Not a test to see what Moses would do, how Moses would respond, but to show Moses, a test to show Moses what he himself would do. To show Moses what was within himself. You understand what I mean this morning? God offered to destroy everyone in the nation of Israel and start over and give Moses a new people. How did Moses respond to that? What was within his heart that came out in response to what God had said? He acknowledged God's power. He was grieved by the potential stain on the glory of God for these people to be destroyed, for the reputation that it would give the nation of Egypt because of what this God had done. That grieved Moses. He did not want to see that happen. He did not want to see these people destroyed. He wasn't concerned about his own power. He was concerned about God. Moses, in fact, made it all about God. The test showed Moses in his heart who he served, who he was devoted to. Have you ever asked your children a question that you already knew the answer to? Why would you do that? What's the purpose of that? You wanted to teach them something, didn't you? You wanted them to process it in their brain themselves. You wanted them to see it themselves. Why? Because it sticks, doesn't it? Something we've thought through sticks and goes a lot deeper than something we're told, doesn't it? It does for me. Have you ever threatened to do something that you never intended to do to get a specific response? Perhaps sinfully for manipulation or maybe to make a point to help someone see something within themselves, to help someone understand a truth. Maybe you've done that. And as I said, God wasn't threatening. 
A threat is something that you probably, maybe, don't intend to follow through. God would have followed through with this. It wasn't an empty threat if Moses hadn't pled for mercy. But he knew Moses would. God uses our opportunity, our willingness to come to him to prayer to teach us, to shape us and to mold us. He uses that fellowship for us to learn more about his nature and to learn more about ourselves. Another why for prayer is to get help from God for something. Whether we're in the middle of a very difficult situation or we see someone else suffering, or there's suffering in the world, or there's turmoil in the world, we have opportunity to go to God and to ask Him for help, to ask Him for direction, to ask Him for wisdom. That's one of the big whys of prayer, the purposes of prayer. Do we always get what we ask for when we go to God in prayer? Is our health always restored? Are loved ones always brought to Christ? Does the government always look to God? They don't, do they? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7. This is Paul being very real and giving us a glimpse into his life. Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the passing, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, he had just talked about these dreams that he had had and how glorious they were. He says, because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. He goes on to say, three times I pleaded with the Lord to remove this, that it should leave me. Paul's thorn never left. His prayer for the thorn to be removed was never answered, not in the thorn being removed. So why was that thorn there? Why was the thorn not removed? Paul answered it before he told you the situation. He said, to keep me from becoming conceited. You see, God, in Paul coming to him in prayer about this thorn, he opened Paul's eyes to the purpose for the thorn. His prayer was answered. He got understanding. He got wisdom. And he rejoiced in the blessing that was given him through the very thorn that he sought to be removed. How did he come to that conclusion? How did he come to that revelation? Through intimate fellowship with God and seeking to understand what God was doing in his life. And he did, and he embraced it. And he became stronger in God because of it. F.B. Meyer had this quote. The biggest tragedy in life is not unanswered prayer. It's unoffered prayer. The biggest tragedy in life is not an answered prayer. It's unoffered prayer. Prayers that are never given up to God. 
God uses our prayers, our communication, our fellowship to teach us, to sharpen us, to mold us into the image of His Son. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, speaking of God's Son, He also set an example in prayer for us. It says, And going a little farther, He fell on His face and He prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Some things in life are going to be hard for us. Some things in life are going to seem very nearly impossible for us to overcome, to come through. Very difficult. Jesus acknowledged the difficulty. Acknowledged the massiveness of what he was about to face. In taking all of our sins to that cross. Being separated from his father. He wasn't acting like it was nothing. He was addressing the pain that it was going to be to him. And expressing his desire not to have to face it. Doesn't that give you hope? But in acknowledging that pain. And acknowledging the fact that he really didn't want to have to go through that. He displayed perfect obedience. He asked God to take the cup. But yet he willingly took it and carried it and faced it. And he also demonstrated the opportunity and the privilege that we have to cry out to God just like he did. His prayer of the cup being removed was not answered. But he demonstrated his greatness and his willingness to go ahead and bear that cup. Some of our unanswered prayers are great burdens. And God wants to hear about our burdens. He wants to help us learn through our burdens, to grow through our burdens, just like Jesus. So what is the why? Why do we pray? Is it because we get what we want? No. It's because we get to talk to God. That's why we pray. To be a part, to take advantage of that great privilege. Paul Tripp had this quote. Prayer is not about presenting our list of wants to God. Prayer is surrendering to what God says we need. Not what we say we need. And he has graciously promised to give us what he says we need. So that's the what and the why. How do we pray? How do we get to this point of personal, intimate relationship with Christ where we're not totally distraught by the fact that our prayers are unanswered, but we're looking to God and walking hand in hand with God and growing and learning through His answers in different ways and different manners to our prayers? Let's go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. 
It says first, they humbled themselves. Make it more about God and others and less about us. We need to trust that God is going to take care of us. We don't have to grasp for what we think we need. When we go to God in prayer, it's an attitude of faith that we're speaking to Him and knowing that He is going to provide. He is going to take care of us. That's how we pray in humility. Chronicles then says, then pray. What is prayer? Intimately talking to God. Talk to Him. You've heard the, the, word, the name for God in, in the original language is Abba. It's translated Father, but probably more correctly for our contemporary language, our modern language, that word should be translated Daddy. How many of you have had your children come to you intimately hurting, asking you as Daddy, Mommy, Help me. Daddy, mommy, I don't understand. That's how God wants us to come to him. Not to humiliate us, but because he loves us that much. He wants us to know that he cares for our every need, our every hurt, our every desire. Intimately. Verse 14 goes on and says, Seek my face. He's saying, don't be afraid of me. Yes, we need to be reverently fearful of God. Understand the enormity of his power. But not to a point where we're cripplingly, where we are crippled in fear. That's not the relationship that God desires with us. We, as believers in Christ, can approach the throne in confidence. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us, through the curtain that is through His flesh. Do you approach God with confidence in your prayers? Not cockiness, not demanding, but in confidence. You say, Kevin, what do you mean? Well, let me give you a little personal example. I didn't tell my wife I was going to share this, but it's a whole lot more on me than it is on her. Back about 16 years ago, when I first asked Amanda out, I was not a very confident individual, especially when it came to people of the opposite sex. And when it came time to finally ask Amanda out on a date, I stumbled all over myself. I actually said the words, well, um, you, you'll probably say no, but I wondered if you might, you probably won't, but I wondered if you might want to go on a date. And I wish I could tell you I was exaggerating right now, but not. I'm not. <laughs> it was that bad. 
But 15 years later and a couple of children later, it worked out okay. <laughs> a couple at a time, I guess. But God took care of me in that. And, you know, when we stumble all over ourselves and we come to God in that same extreme lack of confidence that I did in asking my bride out on that first date, he does answer those prayers. It's not that they're unanswered, but it doesn't have to be that way. We can come to God. We don't have to be stumbling all over ourselves. Well, God, I, I know that this may not be what you have in mind. God, I, I know that, you know, I've not been perfect. I, I know, and, and, but anyway, maybe could you? That's not what God wants from us. It's not that he's wanting us to say it perfectly and beautifully, but he wants us to have confidence in our relationship with him. He wants us to trust him. Do you realize what he gave to give us that possibility of confidence and trust in him? He sent his son down to be persecuted, to be crucified and to be resurrected, to give us the privilege to have that personal relationship of confidence with him. How often do you approach God with a lack of confidence, thinking that there's no way that he's going to hear my prayer? There's no way that he's going to answer my prayer. There's no way that he even cares about me. You'd probably never say that, but how many times have you felt that? Why do you have that lack of confidence? I mean, I had that lack of confidence because, face it, I married way up. But why do we have that lack of confidence with God? Yeah, he's supreme. He's all-powerful and all-knowing. But he did everything so that we could come to him. Everything. Why do we have that lack of confidence? Is it because we're afraid that he's going to embarrass us? Is it because we're afraid that he's going to destroy us? Is it because we think he's going to reject us? Why do we have that lack of confidence? You see, this morning, if you believe, truly believe in the perfect love of God, you should be able to approach him with complete confidence. And if you can't approach him with confidence, if you struggle to approach him with confidence, you should seek a deeper understanding of God's love. To understand that it's unconditional. To understand that it's complete. To understand its immensity. He sent his son down here, gave us that ultimate gift because he loved us that much. And a God that loves us enough to send his son to die for us definitely loves us enough to hear our prayers, to weep with us, to laugh with us, to live with us, to provide for us. Approach God with confidence. That's what he desires with, from you. That's what he desires with you is that intimate relationship. Another part of seeking God's face is dependence on him. Don't try to live life on your own. Don't try to do it yourself. Include God in every element, every aspect of your life. Don't make God your last option. Okay, God, I've done everything within my power. Now you do it. No, don't approach it that way. 
He doesn't want us to have to suffer that way. He doesn't want us to have to struggle that way. You know, as I studied for this sermon, as God had laid this whole thing on my heart a few months ago, it's like, God, I know what you're doing here because my own personal prayer life, I will testify to you this morning, has not been at times often where I would like it to be, where I know it can be. And I struggle in these two very areas, confidence. He's done so much for me. Not only did he send his son, which was the ultimate gift that he gave me, to give me salvation, but he has provided so abundantly for me in the midst of hard times, in the midst of difficulties. Yet I struggle with coming to him in confidence and saying, I know you probably won't, but I struggle with that at times. And then I also struggle with the aspect of trying to do things myself. God, I'm going to be independent. I love you, God, but I don't need you right now. Let me try to do this on my own. Those are two things that I do struggle with in my prayer life. Two things that hinder my prayer life. And by the grace of God, I hope to overcome those things. And to renew my understanding of the love of God daily. And to renew my understanding that it is a covenant that is held together by God, not by anything I do. But putting my faith in His completed work. So that's two of my major struggles in my prayer life. What are yours? The next thing in Second Chronicles, and the final thing stated in the verse is to turn from their wicked ways. To turn from their sin. He said, if you want to have fellowship with me, if you want to communicate with me, if you want to pray to me, stop sinning. Stop willfully doing things contrary to my nature. It's obedience. Now, how often do we try to go to God in prayer, but we've got this thing in the background that we're hanging on to, we're not willing to let go of, because like I've said before, we kind of like our sin, don't we? Why would I ever want to let go of it? It's kind of fun. But then when hard times hit, we say, well, God's not listening. God doesn't hear me. God hears you, but he's waiting for you to see yourself, to see your sin, to surrender yourself, to let go of your idols, to let go of your earthly pleasures, and to truly surrender to him. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Like I said, we want to talk to God, but we don't want to submit to him, do we? Not in our sinfulness, not in our sin nature. We want to talk to him. We want to ask him for what we want. But we don't want to submit to his nature, to his commands. We, in fact, in our sin nature, love the pleasures of this world more than we love the God who created it. That is an obstacle to a deep and intimate prayer life, a fellowship with God, is our unwillingness to let go of our sinfulness. Are you at that place this morning? Second Chronicles goes on to say, Then I will hear from heaven. God is listening. 
He longs to answer our prayers. Maybe not in the way that we would like Him to, but it is always in in our own best interest the way He answers our prayers because He is all-knowing and all-powerful. That is the God we serve. How is your prayer life this morning? You know, we pray in different ways. We've got this prayer room set up that is open to you this week and in the weeks and the years to come. My desire is to begin on Sunday mornings going into that room at 8.30 and inviting anyone who desires to join me to be in there in prayer for our church every week from 8.30 to 9 in the morning. That's my desire. But how do you pray? Is it in words? Maybe it's in poems. Maybe it's in singing. Maybe it's in actions. You communicate differently in different ways with your wife, don't you? My wife and I developed a little system of hand signals where we touch our hands in certain spots or rub our fingers in certain ways. We're telling each other different things. You know, people who, can, who are sighted, they can use different looks or different you know, visual cues. It's just one little way we've learned to communicate. It's been a beautiful thing for us. You each have your own way of communicating with God. It's not in a can. It's not a a specific way and a specific, specific time of day. That's not what God's looking for. He's looking for personal communication, intimate communication with you. Are you seeking what that means to you in your relationship with God? Why do you pray? However you choose to pray, whenever you choose to pray, why do you pray? We talked about the purpose of prayer, but why do you pray? Are you actively seeking to tear down walls? Are you actively seeking to purge yourself of the sinful, willful, sinful desires that you embrace, that you have embraced? Is that why you pray? Or are you praying and seeking that relationship with Christ? Satan wants to deceive us. Satan wants to distract us. See, he knows that that relationship with God is the key whether we're reading Scripture and cherishing it and seeking to understand it, whether we're serving the body of Christ or we are talking to God intimately, personally, seeking Him. Satan wants to distract all of that. He wants to confuse that. Look what he told, Eden, look what he told Eve in the Garden of Eden. You will not surely die. He twisted God's words. He confused it. He wants to destroy our communication and our fellowship with God. We need to be seeking to identify his distortions, his distractions, and seeking a deeper fellowship and prayer and communication with the God who created us. The God who loves us enough, he's God. He's perfect, all-knowing, all-powerful. But he wants to communicate with me, with you, fully and completely. Personally, what an amazing God we serve. What an amazing opportunity we have to come to Him prayer. I encourage you this week, if you had opportunity to sign up, enjoy that time. If you didn't get to sign up, I was going to tell you, pick a time and double pray. It'd be a blessing. But even after this week, take your opportunities to talk to God. 
Maybe you're driving down the road. Maybe you're standing at your job, sitting at your desk. Just have a little talk with God. Tell Him about your troubles. Tell Him about your praises. Tell Him about your joys. He wants to hear from you. He's your daddy. He loves you that much. Yeah, he already knows, but he wants to hear you tell him. He wants to hear you ask him because he loves you and he wants fellowship and relationship with you because you are his child. Let's pray.